أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد For those of you who were present at the Khutbah Al-Jumu'ah you will recall that we spoke about the day of Ashura and what its significance is in Islam. And for those of you who weren't there, you can always look up the recording on SoundCloud. We posted it to the uh, ICC Cleveland uh, Facebook page as well, the link. Um, the significance of the day of Ashura has to do with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coming down on the Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam, on the Prophets alayhi salatu wassalam. And as a connection with, with the idea of kafara, with the idea of atonement for one's sins, that it is an opportunity that's presented uh, to the ummah in order for a person to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whatever sins it committed, uh, even if they may be uh, uh, grotesque in their proportions and, uh, uh, and blasphemous that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the person who sincerely seeks that forgiveness Allah ta'ala has made a way and the fast of this day and the the virtue of this day is one of those ways so the discussion starts with a difference of opinion between the muhaddithun and between the fuqaha with regards to a particular practice which is observed in many places in the Muslim world which is al ayal. That is it a sunnah to spend money on your family uh, on the day of Ashura? Uh, the hadith with regards to spending money on your family, buying, for example, clothing for the children, buying food, uh, you know, buying needs, providing necessities for your family and for, for other people, for your loved ones on that day. Uh, is this a Mubarak act or not? It's narrated from the Prophet uh, such narrations that are neither uh, clearly sahih, neither clearly authentic, nor are they clearly uh, uh, weak or spurious. There are a few issues in the Sharia that are like that. That uh, you see the, the athar sort of straddle uh, something in the middle. So Hafiz Sahawi, rahimahullah wa ta'ala, who is a, a great student of Hafiz bin Hajar Asqalani, he considers the hadith of uh, uh, to be uh, like there are a number of different narrations that when you combine them together he considers it to be a, a, a Hassan hadith what the technical definition of that is is I guess beyond the scope of this talk but there is a jama'ah of ulama that say that look we've tried this thing out and it works uh, and uh, uh, the narrations are not the narrations are not outright inauthentic so this is a practice of many people in the Muslim world and to be honest with you, most of the teachers I studied with, uh, their, uh, uh, their milan or their, their uh, inclination is toward this practice. One of Sheikh Musa's teachers who is a very learned man. Uh, his name is uh, 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 Sheikh uh, uh, Muhammad Abbas Omar. Allah Ta'ala give him a long life and protect him. He worked with the uh, uh, Halabi Sheikh Muhammad Awama, one of the foremost living uh, scholars of hadith in order to prepare a, a muhaqqat edition of the, uh, the Musannaf ibn Abi Shayba uh, uh, with, uh, with a number of his classmates, uh, with two of his classmates or one of his classmates. And uh, his father is also a very learned uh, man. I met him in South Africa and in Medina Munawwara as well. And the students tell me that uh, the Shaykh Muhammad Abbas Omar, who worked with the Shaykh Awama on this tahqiq, on this uh, uh, critical edition of the Musannaf ibn, ibn Abi Shayba, that his father actually asked Shaykh Awama not to include his name in the, in the acknowledgments because he said, I don't want my son to, I don't want it to go to his head. But he's essentially like a prodigy, he's a genius uh, uh, in terms of the ulum, like father, like son. Maybe uh, uh, Sheikh Musa can tell you a little bit more about him when you get, get free time. I've met him three or four times, I've had the honor of hosting him in my house. He really is a genius uh, when it comes to the hadith of the Prophet So Sheikh Muhammad Abbas Omar actually has a relatively lengthy tahqiq of, uh, of this issue with regards to spending money on your family on the day of Ashura, is it a sunnah or not? And he's of the opinion that it is and uh, he presents his proofs. 
And so what does a good student of knowledge do? Good student of knowledge doesn't say, oh look, this is the position of my shaykh and this, this is what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna follow blindly and I'm gonna argue against whoever disagrees. Rather, the student of knowledge looks at the, the, the books that are cited in, in one paper and they look at the books that are refuted in the same paper and sees what does the other side have to say as well. So I did that one day after reading uh, 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 Moana, uh, 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 Muhammad's paper, uh, paper on the Tawassal al ayal And one of the main references cited against this practice was the Majmu'a Fatawa of Ibn Taymiyyah, of which we actually have several copies in our library. Uh, and it doesn't look like anyone's cracked uh, that or many of the other books open in some time. Uh, but uh, inshallah one day. And so if you look in the women of this fatwa that Ibn Taymiyyah writes, Ibn Taymiyyah, he uh, considers the practice to be spurious. One of the reasons he considers it to be spurious is because as a hadith critic, he's far harsher than most of the, uh, most of the muhaddithuna. One can say, okay, Ibn Taymiyyah, you know, he has a much harsher standard for what he considers to be a sahih hadith. Uh, this is a matter of ijtihad. That's the uh, hadith criticism portion of his paper. But then he also gives a, uh, a motive, you know, because people don't do things without motives. He says, what is the motive of fabricating such hadiths if someone were to fabricate it? And this is something that takes a lot of people by surprise because they don't expect this from Ibn Taymiyyah, especially those who are familiar with our tradition, which is that Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, uh, amongst the things that he is, but he's not famous for, he's a great lover of the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet he has an immense amount of love for the family of the Prophet ﷺ, which is part of the Sunni Aqidah. It's part of the Sunni Aqidah. Imam Tahawi Taala, he says that whoever speaks well of three groups of people, the, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and the family of the Prophet ﷺ, فَقَدْ بَرِئَ مِنْ That's literally the, the, the ibarah of the Aqidah Tahawiyah, that the one who speaks good and shows love for these three groups of people, the companions, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and the family of the Prophet ﷺ, you know that this person is not a munafiq. You know that this person is not a, 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 is not a, a hypocrite. So Ibn Taymiyyah had a great love for the family of the Prophet ﷺ, and one of his most rigorous objections to this uh, practice is what? He says, look, the hadith, they don't, they don't pass muster as far as I can tell. And the second thing he says is, this is what? This is a political, uh, a political gimmick. These types of things happen in the Ummah. The Ummah has a very long and checkered history. Not everything is rosy as is presented to us in Sunday school. This is a gimmick by the uh, anti-Ahlul Bayt party, political party uh, uh, historically, to get people to unwittingly and unknowingly celebrate the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu anhu. Who's saying this? This is not you know, Ayatollah Sistani. This is who? This is Ibn Taymiyyah. And after that, the fatwa which is supposed to be with regards to his refutation of the practice of spending money on your family, in particular on the day of Ashura, it turns into a long narration uh, in great detail of the events uh, uh, that led up to the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the aftermath. Uh, of those events and what the uh, uh, what the, the wabal and the destruction that came on the ummah because of uh, that uh, event happening and uh, uh, what lessons a person should learn from them and what the hikmah how is it that Allah could let such, such a thing happen and it's something it's worth reading as a separate uh, as a separate lesson and a separate dars but like we said in the beginning Allah Taala revealed a an ayah on the Yom Al Hajj Al Akbar. That to the Prophet ﷺ, which is the last commandment of the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says, Al-Yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum, wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati, wa raditu lakum al-Islam deena. That this day I have uh, uh, perfected or completed your religion and perfected my uh, 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 favor upon you, and am pleased with Islam as a way of life for you. Meaning anything that's going to come afterward is not necessarily essentially a part of Islam. It may be culturally a part of Islam, but it's not part of our theology uh, uh, per se. It's not part of our theology or our belief. Rather, that was completed during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Indeed, the revelation of this ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, uh, this was less than four months before the Rasul ﷺ left this world. However, so we, when we say that the, the, the significance of Ashura in, in, the, uh, uh, in Islam is connected to something that has to do with the old prophets Islam. It's not the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussain because the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussain happened later. 
However, it would, we would be remiss not to acknowledge that this event happened and it had a very uh, uh, intense and deep impact on, uh, on the Ummah. And I think I can say with a great amount of confidence that after the death of Rasulullah himself, the, the assassination and the horrible way in which the assassination of Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu who happened is after the death of the Rasul sallallahu the passing of the Rasul sallallahu from this world to the life of the Barzakh and the Akhirah that that, that that event is probably the most traumatic thing that happened in the history of the Ummah it still causes people problems, it still causes people trauma, it still causes people grief it still causes people to weep, it still causes people taklif, it causes them burden it's a difficult thing for people to grapple with so to ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen uh, is, is I think uh, uh, you know somewhat unhealthy but again like we said in the introduction that we want to treat this issue between two extremes so one extreme is what to ignore it and not talk about it not acknowledge it the other is what that we have a group of people in this ummah that take the emotional the emotional uh, 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 intensity of this event and they use it as a way to uh, 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 cast like a blanket over the uqul, like the blanket over the, 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 the minds of people. And then use the fact that this thing happened and the fervor and the intensity of the emotions that are wrapped up with it as a, uh, a vehicle to uh, uh, start to cast aspersion over great parts of the deen and over great swaths of the ummah. And this is also a, a, uh, uh, it's a disservice. It's a disservice to the ummah. And so, in brief, what happened is that the uh, 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 Sahaba عنهم, at the ascension of Sayyidina Ali عنهم, the Sunni position is that we are the, we are the, we are the uh, party of the four Khulafa, the Khulafa Rashidun. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali عنهم. That's who we are, we'll come back to this concept later. The first three Khulafa are elected by Ijma'ah, by consensus. There is nobody from the Ummah who objected to the election of the first three Khulafa. Not Sayyidina Ali, nobody. Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman by Ijma'ah, their, their, their uh, caliphate is accepted by the consensus of the Ummah. Some people try to bring up this uh, objection that Sayyidina Ali, uh, unlike the rest of the Sahaba anhum, it took him six months uh, to accept the caliphate of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu. Why is that? And look, this is a, a great qaida. Uh, it is a great universal principle in the uh, 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 in the uh, in the book of Allah Taala. Ijtanibu kathiram min al Most of your evil suspicions, you should leave them because much of it is is what it's sin. ithim. Much of it is sin. And the text of its Quran, the text of the Quran itself. Uh, 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 it mentions what Allah Remember the remember the favor of your Lord when you're enemies of one another and He bound your hearts together. Meaning what Allah Ta'ala Himself bears witness in this place and in other places in the Quran, if you were to Spend all the money in the world, you, you wouldn't have been able to bind their hearts together, but Allah bound their hearts together. This is referring to who? The companions of the Messenger of Allah. So the default is what? Is that they were people that didn't have rancor for one another, they were people who loved one another. By the text of the Quran and by the hadith of the Prophet, and the Ummah, including them, including us and including them, is commanded not to look at everything through the uh, lens of a conspiracy theory rather to look at look at them through the lens of what through the lens of love and through the lens of having a, a good opinion of them of having a good opinion of them so what happens is that the first so Sayyidina Ali ta'ala who it's true he took six months to uh, uh, take the oath of allegiance with Sayyidina Abu Bakr when looked at on its own someone's like ah see there's a problem there's already beef right from the from day one no Sayyidina Fatima anha, the daughter of the Prophet and the wife of Sayyidina Ali anhu, she was ill and she passes away six months after the Prophet passes away. And Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn, Umm Kulthum, Zainab, the children of Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Fatima, Fatima anhuma, they're small kids. Al-Hasan is like the oldest of him and he's like 10. 
and then all of them, their ages are, are, are smaller than that. So Sayyidina Ali anhu himself has to take care of all these kids and his wife is uh, literally she's, uh, uh, in her uh, mortal illness that she's going to pass away from. What are you going to do? You know, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have to grind the, the flour, you have to light the fires, you have to take care of the kids, you have to do all of these things. These are a reason that uh, a person is allowed not to even go to the masjid to take care of your, your near and dear uh, family members. He had to take care of them. Almost immediately after she passes away, alayhi salam ta'ala anha, what does Sayyidina Ali anhu do? He goes straight to the masjid the next fajr. Fajr. Subh. And he asked Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu that you guys made this choice that you're going to be Khalifa. My only one question is, why didn't you uh, make mashra, shura with me? Amruhum shura bainam. Why didn't you consult with me? Because both imagine, remember Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, they're literally like the first two, like from the first two people who accepted Islam. Sayyidina Khadija Zayd bin Haritha, they're like the first group of people that accepted Islam before anybody else did. So he said, why didn't, why didn't you discuss it with me? Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu gave a very uh, uh, simple answer and it was a correct answer. He said that this thing was going down so fast, we were afraid if we didn't act right away, uh, 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 there would have been a facade and chaos inside of the Ummah with regards to its leadership. Because if you remember the story, the Ansar wanted to take Medina back and rule Medina on their own. And Abu Bakr and Umar had to remind them عنهم, that if you do this, then you will break the entire Ummah because the Arabs won't follow you, the Arabs will only follow Quraysh. And they accepted that from, from, from them. So just like that, Sayyidina Ali accepted this ex simple explanation before Fajr, imagine. It's not like a long discussion. He accepted this explanation from Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And after the Salat in front of everyone, ala ru'us al-ashhab, in front of everybody in the masjid, he uh, uh, extolled the virtues of Abu Bakr Siddiq in front of the entire congregation. And in front of the entire congregation, he put his hands in the hands of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq and he took bay'ah with him uh, as Khalifa. He took the oath of allegiance with him. Like that Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, his caliphate, there was no one who held his hand back. Like that Sayyidina Uthman, his caliphate, nobody held his hand back. The circumstances in which Sayyidina Uthman ta'ala anhu was assassinated is a very long and also itself painful story to hear. Whatever happened, happened. Who were the people who defended him in his last moments? Radiallahu anhu. Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn, Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Literally, Uthman who told the three of them, go home, I order you as the Amir al-Mu'mineen to go home, you can't stay here. Who were the ones who defended him? Abdullah bin Salam, the rabbi of, uh, of, of the Jews in Medina who accepted Islam when the Prophet made hijrah. The younger three obeyed the order and the older ones, he, uh, he said, I'm not going to obey. Because they're the same age, he said, I'm not going to obey. And the two of them were martyred on the same day. After this very uh, tragic and very uh, harrowing act happened, this is the first time Medina Munawwara didn't have security. Like the Khalifa Sayyidina Umar عنه, he literally used to like take Qaylullah, used to take a nap in the masjid, no guards, nothing. People, people like dignitaries would come from far and wide to bring messages and they would be surprised like what kind of ruler is this. This was a very traumatic event. This is the first time there was uh, some sort of uh, civil uh, upheaval and chaos in Medina Munawwara. At that time, there were politically three groups of people. One group of people, which included a majority of the Ansar عنهم, uh, took bay'ah with Sayyidina Ali عنه, right off the bat. They said, you're our new Khalifa, we're going to accept you, we take the oath of allegiance with you. And then there was a second group that was the people who were in Sham. Uh, Sham was under the governorate of Sayyidina Muawiyah عنه. Sayyidina Uthman is his relative, is his close relative, he's his next of kin essentially. So amongst the Arabs, there's the idea that if someone is killed, uh, uh, especially in zulm, that you have the right to retaliation. And so Sayyidina Uthman anhu, was unable to produce the killer, uh, uh, sorry, Sayyidina Ali was unable to produce the killers of Sayyidina Uthman. Not necessarily because he didn't want to, not because he didn't want to, but because it was an insurrection, it overwhelmed all of Medina. He wasn't able to produce those people, so the next of kin, Sayyidina Muawiyah who said no, he says that I don't consider, you haven't fulfilled my right, I don't consider uh, your uh, uh, rule to be legitimate until you can fulfill my right. This is his ijtihad. The standard position of the uh, Sunni ulama is that he was wrong in this matter. However, he was wrong not like out of uh, inad and out of sin, 
Rather, this was his understanding of the law, his ijtihad, and he was a mujtahid. Uh, you re- read the athar, Abdullah bin Abbas was also himself from Banu Hashim, radiallahu anhuma. Uh, and a number of sahaba, they bore witness of his faqaha that he was a person of ilm, he was a person of knowledge. So he made this ijtihad that, that because my right isn't being fulfilled, I'm not obliged to uh, uh, take uh, bay'ah with Sayyidina Ali. So this is a second group uh, of the people who were in Sham, in Syria. They didn't take the oath of allegiance with Sayyidina Ali who We say that this was their ijtihad and we considered their position to uh, not be correct. But we hope Allah Ta'ala forgives them for their, uh, for, for their, uh, for their decision. Uh, and uh, we see that they have somewhat of a point of view, even though we consider the preponderance of evidence to be against them. And then there was a third group of people who said that we will take bay'ah, we will take the oath of allegiance with Sayyidina Ali anhu on the condition that he produce the, the killers. He promised at some point in the future to produce the killers of Sayyidina Uthman for retaliation. And uh, a majority of the Muhajirun uh, fell into this like group C, this third group. So we see now that Sayyidina Ali anhu, his, uh, his caliphate, the entire ummah was never uh, gathered by ijma under it. This doesn't like, delegitimize his caliphate, but this is an issue we should be upfront about it, we should be open about it. And a number of things happened during his caliphate, uh, which will end up pushing the, 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 the break between like, the, the, the group A and the group B, the first group and the second group. And it will come to, unfortunately, uh, 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 a, a, even an armed uh, uh, clash between the two groups. What's very interesting to note is that Sayyidina Ali who will never call Muawiyah a kafir and Muawiyah will never call Sayyidina Ali a kafir. Nor will they impugn one another's deen. Rather, they will say that my political position is, uh, is different than yours and mine's is more correct than yours for X, Y, and Z reason. Uh, and this is part of the training of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that they didn't allow, like we mentioned yesterday in the Majlis, that they didn't allow the political differences of opinion that they had to morph into theological differences of opinion amongst them. And so what ends up happening is that after, the, uh, after this battle of Sifin, uh, when the two armies clash between uh, Iraq and between uh, Syria, the army of Iraq being that of Sayyidina Ali and the army of Syria being that of Sayyidina Muawiyah um, what will ha- happen is another threat will come and assail Sayyidina Ali عنه, which is the threat of the Khawarij, a heterodoxical group of people who come up with their own theology in which they say whoever commits a sin is a kafir and they start to spill the blood of the Muslims uh, uh, because of their uh, because of their heterodoxy, because of their deviance, and Sayyidina Ali this is one of his heroic virtues, that fighting a bunch of Bedouins uh, um, is not profitable because if you defeat them, they don't have any big cities that you can take, nor do they have any money that you can take from them. Where Sham is politically a very important prize, the Khawarij were not politically they were not an important enemy to fight. However, Sham is a political threat to Sayyidina Ali. The Khawarij are a threat to the Aqidah of Islam, to the Deen of Islam, because their, their crookedness is in the actual uh, understanding of Islam. And so this is from the heroic virtues of Sayyidina Ali anhu, that he chose to uh, 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 put political expediency to the side and fight a very difficult enemy to fight in order to preserve the Deen rather than to preserve his own throne. And so what happens is one day, uh, uh, a young man from the Khawarij by the name of Abdurrahman ibn Muljim, a very uh, ill-fated uh, young man, uh, will end up assassinating uh, Sayyidina Ali anhu, and he will succumb to his wounds and he will pass away. This brings us to what? To the succession of Sayyidina Ali anhu politically, which comes on the shoulders of Sayyidina Al-Hasan anhu. Sayyidina Al-Hasan radiallahu anhu is described as the, from the people, the one who most resembled the Messenger of Allah sallallahu physically. And so the people of Iraq uh, come together and they uh, take the oath of allegiance with Sayyidina Al-Hasan radiallahu anhu. He says, I'll be your leader on the condition only that you, that you listen to what I say. And you obey me to the end. He said, of course, we'll listen to what you say, we'll obey you to the end. And he took this promise from them in an emphatic way. And finally, in the same majlis that they swore allegiance to him, he said, good, send a message to Muawiyah and Sham, tell him uh, I uh, give up my claim to the caliphate in order that the ummah should be made one again. 
This is also from the heroic virtues of, of the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet Unlike the propaganda that unscrupulous preachers will preach on this day of Ashura from masajid all around the world. Our masajid in the Indian subcontinent, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, this is the type of nonsense that people spew uh, 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 on the day of Ashura in order to paint the Sahaba عنهم, as some sort of crazy maniacal weirdos who are, have like an irrational bent to uh, spill the blood of the family of the Prophet and that the family of the Prophet وسلم, themselves are mortal enemies of the companions. This is all nonsense. Rasulullah said about Sayyidina Hassan who is a young kid, like maybe like your age. He said, Inna ibn hada Sayyidun. He said, This son of mine is a leader. And one day Allah Ta'ala will use him in order to reconcile between two great uh, uh, disputing factions of my ummah. And that day, Sayyidina Hassan Ta'ala anhu, he uh, uh, made good on the prophecy of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sayyidina Muawiyah himself was a very reasonable man and he was a man of great generosity. Far from being a person who had an irrational bloodthirst for the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you have to remember this. If you look at the family tree of Quraysh, Banu Umayyah is, it connects with Banu Hashim. It doesn't connect the enemies of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam like tribally and tribal like Jahiliyyah, pre-Islamic Quraysh tribal politics. Uh, uh, Banu Abdi Shams and Banu Abdi Manaf are from the same branch. Banu Umayyah and Banu Hashim are from the same branch. Uh, Banu Abdi Dar, Makhzum and Adi, you know the uh, uh, Al-Walid ibn Mughira and Abu Jahl and these people, they're a different branch. They're rival competitors. In fact, after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, immediately Abu Sufyan went to Ali who told him, declare your caliphate right away so we can take this. Why? Because they saw each other as being on the same side. The intermarriage between the two families happens before Karbala and it happens after Karbala. It doesn't interrupt. Why? Because they're literally the same, they're the same branch of the family. Sayyidina Muawiyah who is known to be a very generous man. And he used to not deal with his problems through fighting, he used to deal with his problems through generosity. He used to basically pay people and give so much to them. He used to give so much to them that nobody wanted to fight him anymore. So what happens when Sayyidina Hassan who sends a letter to Damascus saying that, hey, you know, I'm going to give the caliphate up, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's uh, uh, negotiate terms. Sayyidina who what does he do in exchange? He sends a scribe with a blank, with a blank scroll, with his seal at the end of it. Meaning, you write whatever terms you want, I've already signed it. Is this the, is this the action of somebody who has like some sort of irrational uh, 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 bloodlust against the family of the Prophet Absolutely not. But then look, there's a maqam above every maqam. Sayyidina Hassan was the first one to, to seek reconciliation. Sayyidina Muawiyah responded with this blank slate offer. Sayyidina Hassan said, I didn't do this for money. I didn't do this to negotiate terms with you. The only thing I ask is that my family and the supporters of my father, that you promise you're not going to persecute them because of their past opposition to you. The scribe himself was so embarrassed. He was so embarrassed that this is like, Muawiyah is going to be angry with me, that he's expecting that I'm going to have all these things written into this contract and I'm going to come back with like nothing basically. He himself, without asking Sayyidina Al-Hassan who included a number of terms that, uh, you know, that you'll have this, many, this much land in Medina Munawwara and a land grant of this and that and the tribute from the province of Ahwaz and etc. etc. Ahwaz, by the way, is, a, is a, 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 a province which is at some point it was connected with Basra. It's actually in Iran nowadays, but it's one of the parts of Iran is still the people are Arabic speakers and the people are still a majority from the Al-Sunnah. So, uh, the tribute of Ahwaz is connected with the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet from a very early time, and they're also Sunnis by the way. So, what happens? What happens is that, the, uh, 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 that this, this ajib reconciliation happens. The people that hate each other don't deal with each other this way. And then afterwards, Sayyidina Al-Hassan he moves back to where? He moves back to Medina. And Sayyidina Hussain Hussain, he moves back to Medina Munawwara. The family of the Prophet lives in Medina Munawwara now. Now, what happens during this time in Medina? There's a particular individual that had no small role in the, uh, uh, the events that led up to the assassination of, uh, of Sayyidina Uthman anhu. His name is Marwan ibn Hakam. Marwan ibn Hakam, his father is Hakam ibn Abil As. 
he's from Banu Umayyah, he's a relative of Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. But he's known to be miscreant. His father, Hakam ibn Abil As, he took Islam at the hands of the Prophet on the day of the Fath, Fath of Mecca. The Prophet didn't trust him. So he didn't say, no, you can't become Muslim. He accepted his Islam, but he instructed his companions, don't let this man into Medina ever. He's a troublemaker and I'm afraid of what he's going to do. He says, just tell him, stay in Mecca, don't, don't come to Medina ever. And so what happened when this became known amongst the Muslims, it was like a somewhat of a stigma. It was somewhat of a stigma on the father. The stigma of the father came onto the son, Marwan. And so Marwan was this young man. He's a relatively intelligent young man. And uh, his father passed away. Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, it's a commandment of the deen to take care of your relatives, especially the poor uh, amongst your relatives. You know, your sadaqah, your zakat should go to your, the poor of your relatives first and then to the general public. You know, you shouldn't be dropping uh, uh, 10 G's on the masjid if, you're, if your cousin is like not able to pay his rent. You know what I mean? Uh, inshallah, help them pay their rent and then give the rest of the masjid, inshallah. The, the idea is what is that this uh, Marwan, he showed a face of piety in front of Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu. Uh, and Sayyidina Uthman will hire him to be his personal assistant. And so he becomes like a hajib, like a chamberlain. Like if you want to write a letter to Sayyidina Uthman, you send it through him. And so he would show a face of piety in front of uh, Sayyidina Uthman, but then he would uh, do what they call influence peddling. Like if you want your letter to make it to the Khalifa, then you gotta, you know, you gotta uh, make it worth my while, you know, type of stuff. To the point where a great number of the companions got fed up with him and demanded that Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu uh, dismiss him. And uh, Sayyidina Uthman said, if you have some proof of, uh, of your allegations against him, go ahead and produce it. Otherwise, uh, he's my, my cousin relative. I cannot, just, uh, I cannot just fire him based on hearsay. And so this Marwan bin Hakam was a troublemaker from the very beginning. In fact, right after the assassination of Sayyidina Uthman, he left Medina and went to Syria because he knew the people of Medina disliked him so much that they were going to come after him. And uh, uh, he uh, uh, does the same thing with Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Sayyidina Muawiyah makes him, appoints him to be, uh, 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 to be governor over Medina. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. He shows a pious face in front of the Khalifa, but in his day-to-day -day affairs, the people of Medina are sick and tired of him. The ulama write that he had Sayyidina al-Hasan radiallahu anhu poisoned. That Sayyidina Hassan radiallahu anhu was, was poisoned, that out of good health he all of a sudden inexplicably, inexplicably becomes sick. And what's worse is that the uh, Sahaba radiallahu anhum, their expectation is that this is the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Imagine that. Their expectation is that they will bury him in the Hujra Mubarakah with Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu and with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Marwan bin Hakam in an, ex, ex, in an especially, in an especially uh, undignified and in, in an especially uh, uh, horrible uh, uh, action, he refused. He refused to uh, allow him to be buried in the Hujra Mubarakah. And why? He said, well, you didn't allow Uthman to be buried there. And, you know, what is the fact? The fact is what? Is that when Sayyidina Uthman was assassinated, it wasn't Sayyidina Ali that stopped him from being buried in the Hujra Mubarakah. It was the assassins that stopped him. They were from outside. They were from the provinces. They were not from Medina. They were not from the companions, radiallahu anhu. Sayyidina Uthman, radiallahu anhu, had to be buried under the cover of night after several days. Because the miscreants and the, the, the uh, rebels that came to assassinate Sayyidina Uthman, radiallahu anhu, the insurgents, they wouldn't allow him to be buried even in the Baqiyah. So he was carried, buried under the cover of night. One of the people who buried uh, Uthman radiallahu anhu is one of Imam Malik's grandfathers, his paternal grandfather, Malik bin Abi Amr, uh, 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 the paternal grandfather of Imam Malik ta'ala. And so they said, well, you guys did this to us, so this is why we're not allowing your guy to be buried there, which is a completely like a disgusting thing to do and to say. And it only increased the people of Medina in their hatred for Marwan bin Hakam. And so what ends up happening is that he's assassinated and this horrible thing happens. As long as Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu anhu is, is Khalifa, still, still nobody can openly make a move against, uh, against Sayyidina Al-Hussein radiallahu anhu. Even the assassination of Sayyidina Al-Hassan radiallahu anhu had to be done in a very, like a very subtle and scheming manner. What happens thereafter is that Sayyidina Muawiyah, he becomes ill and he, he, he dies. When he's on his deathbed, 
there's a, uh, there's a companion by the name of, who is one of the later companions, he's not one of the Muhajirin or Ansar. Uh, one of the companions comes to uh, 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 Sayyidina Muawiyah anhu, and it's been a long day, the name is Mughirat ibn Shu'bah. He is the same one who came to Umar anhu, and he was on his deathbed. And he said to Sayyidina Umar, he says, import your son Abdullah bin Umar to be Khalifa after you. Sayyidina Umar is so disgusted with the suggestion, he orders that, tell this man, take this man out of my room and don't let him back into the room until I've died. Now, to be fair to Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, why, why would he say that? Because dynastic succession is what the people are accustomed to and he felt that it would be politically easier to execute. Less chance of things going wrong, less chance of rebellion, etc, etc. Succession is a big problem. Succession is a big problem. If you look at the history of nations, succession from one ruler to another oftentimes ends up uh, decaying in chaos and civil war. This was his ijtihad. The companions, the majority of them, completely disapproved of it. This Mughirat ibn Shu'bah is also there when Muawiyah was passing away. And he says to him, appoint your son Yazid to be uh, Khalifa after you. And he convinces him. He convinces Muawiyah who he appoints Yazid to be Khalifa after him. And he makes dua, Ya Allah, this Yazid, if he, there's any good in him, straighten him out and make him a good ruler of the Muslims. And if there's not, take him away quickly. Take him away quickly. And so what happens is the uh, Abu Hurairah at this time, when this is all about to happen, he makes a dua publicly that, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the ruler, rule of young men. Why? Because young men are impetuous, they're foolhardy. They make stupid decisions and think about the, the consequences afterward. And he passes away very shortly before the, the, the passing away of Sayyidina Muawiyah This Yazid comes to power. What's the problem with Yazid being in power? Uh, he is not known to be a, a scholar from the ulama, nor is he known to be a particularly pious person. The reports of his, uh, the reports of his, uh, uh, of his corruptness. Wallahu alam. As a student of history, I have to question what the authenticity is. They may be correct. They might not be correct. Allah knows best. But at any rate, the companions are still alive, and this is enough for the people of the ummah to wonder why is it, why is this uh, young boy going to be uh, uh, made into khalifa when the companions are still there? Muawiyah is a companion, radiyallahu anhu. Al Hasan is a companion, radiyallahu anhu. Al Hussein is a companion, radiyallahu taala anhu. And so a number of the Sahaba عنهم, they have an objection to this, to this uh, matter. And what ends up happening is uh, Sayyidina Muawiyah uh, uh, he sends out his uh, emissaries to the different cities of the Ummah in order to take the oath of allegiance for his son before he dies in order to guarantee that there will not be bloodshed and, and strife uh, before, uh, before the, uh, the succession. But as is his custom, he didn't coerce or force anyone to do so. Once he, once he passes away, Yazid will then send people to coerce the, 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 the people, the notable people of Medina, of Mecca, of the different cities, to by force give the oath of allegiance. When Sayyidina Abdullah bin Zubair and Sayyidina Hussein Hussain hear about this, they sneak out of Medina Munawwara and they go to Makkah Mukarramah. They stay in Makkah Mukarramah, the people of Makkah will not allow the, the emissaries of Yazid to come into the, into the city nor will they give the oath of allegiance to, uh, uh, to Yazid. And what ends up happening is while Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu anhu is there in, in Makkah Mukarramah, he receives a letter from the people of Kufa. Kufa is like the metropolis which is somewhat close to what the modern day city of Baghdad is, but before Baghdad was built. And it was by population the largest city in the Muslim world at the time. The people of Kufa, whose fathers were the supporters of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu uh, anhu in his political clash with Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, they said to Sayyidina Hussein, come to us, we will support you, we will, uh, 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 we will uh, protect you, we will give you a voice, we will listen to what you have to say, etc, etc. We will take the oath of allegiance with you, whatever you decide, we'll follow you. And so they keep writing letters one after the other. They say dozens of people, hundreds of people, thousands of people are asking. And so after it comes to a certain point, Sayyidina Al-Hussein radiallahu anhu, he decides I'm going to go to the people of Kufa. Why? 
To lead a rebellion? No. So that they can make mashra, they can discuss with one another the affairs of this ummah, how, how they can straighten it out best. There are those of the ummah which will have you believe that they left as rebels. This is not the case. This is not the case. Tell me something, the qafila that leaves from, from uh, Makkah Mukarramah through Medina Munawara to go to Karbala. There's women and children in it. Who is going to take the, 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 the small children? Who's going to take the women of the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet ﷺ in order to be uh, abused and to be uh, uh, killed and to be starved and to be uh, subjected to uh, hunger and thirst at the hands of, uh, of, of, of the enemies of the family of the Prophet ﷺ? Who would do that? Would someone do that in their right mind? No. They were going there in order to meet with their political party in order to decide what do they want to do, what decision do they want to make because hitherto they did not take bay'ah with they did not take bay'ah with Yazid but nor did they take bay'ah with anyone else. Abdullah bin Zubair decides to stay in Makkah Mukarramah. He doesn't leave. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu advises, advises Sayyidina Hussein and he gives him good advice. He says, please, please, I beg you, don't go to Kufa. You saw what they did with your father, they didn't support him properly. You saw what they did with your brother, they didn't support him properly. These are people, we don't trust them. Stay in Medina, we love you in Medina. In Medina still the companions are there. We love you and we love your family. We will protect you. Uh, if anyone will protect you, it's us. I don't trust these people, they're treacherous people. Sayyidina Hussein, he, has, he feels like this is a, a time of trial and tribulation in the Ummah. The Ummah is uh, about to go in a direction which is not in accordance to the Sunnah of the Prophet These people are asking for help. How can, I, how, can I, how can I refuse to help them? So he ends up setting up with his family and they're going toward Kufa. He sends his cousin, Muslim bin Aqil, Aqil bin Abi Talib. Muslim bin Aqil as the advanced party to go and, and, and set up the protocol so that uh, the people of Kufa can receive uh, Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu anhu. Interesting note, Aqil ibn Abi Talib, the father of Muslim bin Aqil, you remember we talked about the clash between Ali and Muawiyah Guess which side Aqil was on? He was on the side of Muawiyah. Ziyad, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Ziyad uh, uh, ibn Abi Sufyan, the brother of Muawiyah. Guess which side he was on? He was on the side of Sayyidina Ali It's not like, you know, like people make this like fantastic stories as if the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, it's like Uhud, Badr, Fath, now let's kill the family of the Prophet What kind of, you know, what kind of person would think about something like that? Except for a person who's really like has like a ajib, strange like level of bent toward conspiracy theory inside of their head. Those were the companions of the Messenger of Allah. Uh, those are the ones about whom Allah Ta'ala said in his book, Radiallahu Anhum wa Radu Anhu, that Allah is pleased with them and He's pleased with them. They're not like that. So Muslim bin Aqil, who's the cousin of uh, Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu anhu, he goes with the advanced party. While he's traveling, while he's traveling from Hijaz to Kufa, Yazid's uh, henchmen and governors uh, are sent from Damascus in order to take over uh, the rule of Kufa. When Ubaidullah bin Ziyad reaches the, uh, reaches the palace of Imara, the, the palace of the governorate of Kufa, he basically will uh, call the, the, the different tribal heads that uh, promised to support Sayyidina Hussein. He says, we'll kill you all. Either you switch sides or we'll kill you all. This is the simple uh, deal. And Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar was right. He said those people were not, you know, those people were not uh, 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 people that were trustworthy, nor were they loyal. They all overnight, they switched their allegiance. In the time it took Muslim bin Aqil to reach Kufa, once he arrives there, he finds only one or two houses, households that will, uh, that will even host him. Nobody will even let him in. And they say to him, they say, we're sorry. Our hearts are with Hussein, but our uh, swords are with Ubaidullah bin Ziyad. Which is a very treacherous thing to say. By this time, Sayyidina Hussein has already left from Hijaz and is on his way to Medina Munawwara. Muslim bin Aqil has to run from house to house in order to hide. And he finally is surrounded in a house and the soldiers of Ubaidullah bin Ziyad, they surround the house 
and they go in, they find him, and a'udhu billah, they behead him, and they throw his head outside of, the, outside of the walls of the house just to show the people that this is not going anywhere. Out of an act of cruelty, a spectacle of cruelty, this is something that we don't approve of. This is not something the companions did. This is something we don't approve of. This is the same rule of young men that Sayyidina Abu Huraira who sought refuge from. And this is a, a very despicable and disgusting act. Sayyidina Hussain who gets the news of, <coughs> of, of uh, Muslim bin Aqil of his cousin being treacherously killed like this, that the people who promised to help and, and protect uh, 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 Sayyidina Hussain and uh, his party that they reneged on their promise and that his cousin is treacherously killed, he receives the news in a place called Karbala, which is south of Kufa. Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu stops, he halts. He doesn't keep going forward. They're not there to fight. They're there to talk. You don't bring your women and children to the fight. And you definitely don't bring the women and children of the family of the Prophet and expose them to danger and to humiliation in the fight. What happens is that by that time, they are surrounded by the, by the, uh, 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 the Ban Umayyah's army. And what's even more humiliating and disgraceful uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the army that surrounds them is that those, that army, most of them are not even soldiers from, from Syria. They're not the enforcers of Ban Umayyah. Most of those soldiers are the ones who actually took the oath of allegiance with uh, Sayyidina Hussein and said that we are the party of Ali, we're the party of the Ahlul Bayt. They're the ones that they switch sides treacherously and they're the ones who are now sieging uh, Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So they surrounded them, days pass, no food comes in, no water comes in. Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu anhu tries to negotiate with them and he gives an offer. What is his offer? He says, look, we didn't come here to fight in the first place. So I give you an offer. He says, I'll, I'll turn around and I won't go to Kufa. If you give me one of three options, you can choose which one you want. He says, one is that you allow me to go back to Medina Munawwara with my family. I promise I won't leave and I won't deal with political issues again. This was our chance. Nothing is going to happen now. Unnecessary bloodshed is not going to solve anything or better anything. We'll go back to Medina Munawwara. The second is what? The second option is what? Is that you send me uh, to uh, my cousin in Damascus, Yazid and let me talk to him face to face. Why? Their family, their clans, like I said, Banu Umayya, Banu Hashim, they're like, their, their clans are, are, are uh, they're, they're from the same branch of Quraysh. So let me talk to him face to face. And what's the third option? He says that you send my family back to uh, Medina and you send me to any one of the borders of, uh, uh, of the Muslim lands where uh, the, the Mujahidun are engaged in Jihad fi sabilillah, and why should we fight one another as Muslims? We'll fight the enemies of the Ummah rather than, than wasting uh, uh, the blood of the Muslims and fighting one another. Is this the offer of a person who's clamoring for power, or is this the offer of a person who's sincere and who's humble and only is doing something for the sake of Allah? He makes this offer and he's awaiting, uh, he's awaiting the response for the offer. And treacherously, the people start to fight before the answer comes back from the offer. And once the battle starts, it becomes chaos, it becomes complete uh, 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 anarchy. And the fighting uh, doesn't stop until the dust settles. And the grandson of the Rasul is assassinated treacherously in the field of Karbala. And the Ummah grieves. The Ummah is upset about this. The Ummah is upset about this. Until this day, the Ummah is upset about this. Until this day, the Ummah has a right to be upset about this. What ends up happening is those few people from the family of the Prophet ﷺ, the women and the children who survive, they are sent to, they are sent to uh, uh, Damascus. The women of Banu Umayyah, they weep and they grieve. And they take the women of the family of the Prophet ﷺ into their own homes. Many of you read the tabaqat, many of the women of Banu Umayyah, their names are like Fatima and the names of the Ahlul Bayt. Many of the wives of the Banu Umayyah uh, are from uh, Banu Hashim and vice versa. They give them their clothing, they give them their jewelry, they give them and they weep with them over what happened. Yazid himself, he's, uh, he, 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 uh, uh, 
he tries to act unrepentant, but eventually what does he do? He sends back the family of the Prophet ﷺ to Medina and no further harm uh, comes to them. But the damage is like already done. The damage is already done. This thing ended up happening. And Ibn Taymiyyah in the fatwa that he writes in the Majmu'l Fatawa, when wondering how could Allah Ta'ala let something like this happen? What's the, what's the hikmah of it? He says, after thinking and pondering over this matter deeply, he says, the only thing I can come up with is what? Is that the two grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ, they were so young, they were so young when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. They weren't at Badr, they weren't at Uhud, they weren't able to bear arms on the day of the Fath of Makkah, Mukarramah, Hunayn, Tabuk, any of these expeditions. That Allah Ta'ala put them through such a difficulty in order that their maqam can, can, can catch up and can, can meet with the maqam of the companions of the Messenger of Allah if the purpose of Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu anhu's uh, leaving was to rebel against the Caliphate, then you can say it was a failure. If the person of Sayyidina, purpose of Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu anhu is leaving his home uh, in order to uh, uh, work with the people of Kufa, in order to bring some islah in the ummah and to bring something better in the ummah, then it was a success. Why? Because there's no person in their right mind who's going to enter into, into, into any of the masajid of the Muslims and say that we're the party of Yazid except for they're out of their mind. Everybody acknowledges the superiority of the akhlaq and the superiority of the position of the grandson of the Messenger of Allah However, at this point it's important to mention there are those people like we said from before who abuse this story, who try to make the wound which has scarred. You know when you have a cut, you have a scar, it's never the same. It can never be the same. Like as the normal skin, it can never be the same. The color is off, it doesn't stretch properly, it, there's so many properties of it that are inferior to the normal skin, but you survive, you move on. You, have you seen someone with a scar that keeps cutting it open again and again and again? No. A person in their right mind wouldn't do that. We have storytellers that come and they over-dramatize and they put like, you know, like ahistorical flourishes and rhetorical flourishes into this thing and they make you know some people look like they're pure evil and some people look like this and that and they weave this huge story out, out, out of it and what do they do afterward then they start cursing the companions of the messenger of Allah tell me which companion raised the hand against Sayyidina Hussein and Karbala none of them did none of them did. it had to do with a completely different qawm of people and those storytellers for their own political and their own worldly gain We'll try to make this issue into look, we're the party of the Ahlul Bayt and those Muslims, they're the party of Yazid. Are we the party of Yazid? The Ahlul Sunnah, are we the party of Yazid? A'udhu Billah. We're the party of what? Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Uthman, Sayyidina Ali. We're the party of the companions, we're the party of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and we're the party of the family of the Prophet ﷺ. And only the person who embraces all three of these groups of people according to the ulama of the Ahlul Sunnah, uh, only that person, their, their deen is free of nifaq, is free of hypocrisy. But still there are people, there are still people in this America. When I was a kid, this didn't used to come up, alhamdulillah. But now in this America, there are people in these nights, they're, they're telling the story in order to cast an aspersion or a, 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 a shadow of doubt an ill will over the companions of the Messenger of Allah as if they somehow had something to do with this act and it's so obvious that they had nothing to do with this act whatsoever. It's so obvious that they had nothing to do with this act whatsoever. And for us, what we need to do is we need to understand the, uh, 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 the martyrdom of, the, uh, 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 of Sayyidina Hussein and like him, his brother Sayyidina Hassan before him, like him Sayyidina Ali who before him, like, like them, the many Imams of the Ahlul Bayt, of the Prophet ﷺ, who were persecuted and many of whom were martyred and killed because of their da'wah of haqq, of trying to bring the ummah to that which is best without worrying about their dunyawi concerns, without worrying about their political concerns, to fight the khawarij instead of trying to retake sham, etc. That this is an example for us that we honor them and we, uh, 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 we respect them and that we love them and we acknowledge that this is their, their place in the ummah. And that we acknowledge that the family of the Prophet ﷺ have a maqam uh, in this ummah and that we love them for the love of the Prophet ﷺ. Rasulullah said, love me for the love of Allah and love my family for my love. Does it mean that anyone who's from the family of the Prophet ﷺ is infallible? No. I mean, if they make a mistake, what if one of them makes a sin? Ask Allah to forgive them. 
ask Allah to guide them. If you can nicely take them by the hand, say, uh, my beloved brother, this is not the sunnah of your forefather sallallahu This is not the sunnah of your grandfather. Should we not show you a better way? Should we not, should we not t- you know, take that person, give them a ride to the masjid, give them, help them. Why? Out of the love of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa That's what it means. It's a very simple concept. And it's unfortunately, uh, oftentimes out of overreaction against these hyperbolic and diabolical preachers that, that, that use the, the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussein as a reason to uh, uh, as a reason to cast a shadow over the legacy of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they will like have a hyper overreaction against that. That overreaction has nothing to do with Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah nor with any of our ulama. Rather, the love of Ahl al Bayt is clear from the writings of the Mujtahid Imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i, from the Muhaddithun, from all of the, all of the great Imams of the different, different disciplines of learning and ilm of piety and righteousness in the history of the Ummah. And what should we learn from this? What we should learn from this is what? Just like Imam Sayyidina Hussein radiallahu anhu, he left his home not to fight. He left his home in order to work for, on a solution to better the broken state of the ummah. We also should do that. And we shouldn't look at our enemies as being the people who say la ilaha illallah. Rather than daydreaming about, oh, these other Muslims, we hate them, we hate them, we hate them because they're wrong. Yeah, sure, they're wrong. There are other Muslims who are wrong. There are other Muslims, you'll find other Muslims who are wrong all day long. Instead of daydreaming about fighting them and killing them and spilling their blood and breaking their bones and giving them black eyes and harming them and taking their money and taking their land and taking them countries and kicking them out of this and that and the other. Instead of doing that, look at what Sayyidina Hussein did. When his enemies brought the fight to him, he didn't take the fight to anybody. He was just going for mashra. When his enemies brought the fight to him, what did he do? He said, okay, you don't want to fight? I see this is not going anywhere. I don't want to fight you. Like the two sons of Sayyidina Adam, in Basata Yadaka Ilaya Litaktulani, Ma'ana Bibasatin Yadi li Aktulak. If you put your hand forward, if you reach grasp in order to kill me, so I'm not going to put my hand forward in order to kill you. This is you have your issue, I'm not I'm not I'm not with you in it. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to have this fight like you're trying to have this fight. What did he do? He gave three options. Either we'll go back home. Or I'll go and talk to my cousin in, in, in Damascus. Or you send me, if we're going to draw swords one way or the other, we'll draw our swords against our enemies instead of drawing our swords against each other. If this isn't like the paragon and the epitome of heroic virtue, I don't know what is. These are the lessons we should be taking. But instead what happens, these hyper-emotional preachers, they take two truths and mix them with like 99 lies, 98 lies. And they end up making people uh, have grief in their hearts and become enemies with one another and fight with one another and that's why the Muslim world literally is fighting with each other with sectarian strife and all of this other nonsense. This is wrong brothers and sisters. Anyone who makes this da'wah, that person is making a call toward jahiliyyah. Rather the sunnah of the Prophet is what? When someone you love dies, the deen gives you three days and three nights to mourn. If you're so heartbroken and you can't do anything, then stay home, pray your prayers at home. Don't go to work. Don't cook food. Your neighbors will cook it and send it to you. And when those three days are over, it's time to get up and move on. Because mourning more than that is not going to help you. The maximum mourning period is of a woman for her, the loss of her husband, it's four months and ten days. After it, you move on. Tell me something. If we were allowed to keep mourning again and again and again, the, the wound was horrible, but it's scarred now. It's scarred. It won't ever be the same. We acknowledge that, but it's scarred. If we were going to cut it open again, why wouldn't we cut it over, cut it open because of the death of the Prophet ﷺ? Which son of a mother is more valuable, more precious? Which father is more precious? Which grandfather is more precious than that Rasul ﷺ, that Nabi Arabi, who was sent by Allah Ta'ala as a rahmah lil'alameen? The one for whom great men, warriors wept like children. The one for whom, when he died, Sayyidina Umar whose mind was like a steel trap, it broke apart, it couldn't take the, the, the pain of the loss. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we weep for that? If someone was true and honest and sincere in saying that we only tell these stories in order to grieve the loss of the grandson of the Prophet they would have grieved the loss of the Prophet even more. But they don't. It's a political trick, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Your emotions should serve your mind. 
Don't let your mind serve your emotions. Your emotions are a good servant. They'll pull you toward doing good things if the mind is in command. If you put the emotions into command, you'll destroy other people's house and you'll destroy your own house. You'll kill other people and you'll kill yourself as well. This is a, an admonition to us and to the ummah of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, especially those pious and righteous people like the Sibtain, the grandsons of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, like Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and the people from that time until now. So many of my own personal teachers are from the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, selflessly teaching the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, selflessly teaching the fiqh, selflessly teaching the aqidah, serving the masajid, feeding the poor, doing all of these things without worry for name and fame and glory, kingship, any of these things. All of those people who are following this noble, noble way. All of those people from the Alu Muhammad. You know, this is a hadith of the Prophet Alu Muhammadin kullu taqiyyin. The family of Muhammad is everyone who fears Allah. There are those people who say, oh, you Sunnis, you just made that up. No. This expression comes in the Quran, right? What does it mean? The family of Fir'aun? No, the people who are with him. Alu Muhammadin kullu taqiyin. Everyone who is willing to step on their own political and their own economic benefit, their own comfort, in order that Islam should be supreme. In order that Islam should be ascendant. More than, more than you, more than me, more than Arab, more than Ajam, black, white, ICC, Masjid Umari, Masjid Nur, Masjid Mu'min, this group, that group, that more than any of these broken pieces, that Islam should be ascendant. That person has followed the path of the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who is Rahmatul Alameen gave the bishara to this Ummah Al-Mar'u Ma'aman Ahabba The person will be with the one that they love Allah Ta'ala give us their love and give us the tawfiq of following their example rather than following the rabid tongues of rabid creatures who uh, only seek to inflame the fires of fitna inside the hearts of the people Allah Ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين